here we are, Deuteronomy. And, and maybe there's some of you in this room just saying the word Deuteronomy, you went, what is he even talking about? That's okay. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and the last in the Torah, the last in the law of Moses, the last in the Pentateuch. Now, maybe as you're a reader, if you have read the Bible through, when you got to Deuteronomy, you went, haven't I heard this before? Haven't I already read this? Haven't we already done this, God? Why is it there again? Well, today we're going to talk about why you should read the book of Deuteronomy and how we find Jesus in it. Right and wrong, life and death. Those were the two paths put before Israel as they were about to enter the promised land from the wilderness. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the law. It's Moses' final speech in which he pleads with Israel to choose right over wrong. And this speech contains many warnings and provisions, commands and restrictions that were meant to give Israel direction onto the path that would lead them away from destruction and into life. If they obeyed, they would be blessed. They would live with God and have life. But if they disobeyed, they would be cursed. They would be exiled from the land and would die. So Moses passed on the law, so Israel might know wrong from right. But in the speech itself, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses made a devastating prophecy. Yes, Israel would enter the land. But once they do, they would forget God and break his commands. The stone they carried actually promised it would come true. Deuteronomy guaranteed that Israel would turn aside to death instead of life. They would choose wrong instead of right. So they would be exiled from the land. They would be locked outside. Both parents and their children would refuse to listen to the words Moses had written on that tablet of stone. So they would be separated from God outside the promised land. They would be cursed to die alone. And while there are moments of obedience to God's commands, as we trace Israel's history through the Bible, we find that this guarantee about disobedience and exile ultimately stands. Generation after generation disregarded Deuteronomy and its demands. They ran after death, slamming the door on the God of life and his law written on stone. They forgot God and his commands and began defining right and wrong on their own. And the reason Moses knew that the law would be disowned was because Israel's hearts were hard. It's something that they had constantly shown. The law of sin was etched into their hearts like the law of God was etched into that stone. But Deuteronomy made another guarantee about what was to come. God would raise up another prophet like Moses who would keep the law and obey all he had spoken. Where Israel ignored God's commands, he would uphold them. He would put the law in its proper place and take them back to the land God had chosen. But the law continued to be broken. You see, Deuteronomy isn't 
a set of rules. It's the story of the path we all choose. We all have chosen wrong over right, so we have all earned death over life. And it's because we too have these hard hearts. Whatever sin offers, we willfully pursue. And without some kind of inward change, this is all we will ever do. But there is good news. For even though we all broke the law written on stone, God's promise of a Moses-like prophet was not taken back or overthrown. Even though we broke God's word, God would not break his. For just as permanent as all the commands and punishments were God's promises that he would come and fix all of our brokenness. And that's who Jesus is. The prophet like Moses who upholds all of God's commandments. He perfectly held together what we could only break. He fulfilled what the law required and put it in its proper place. Jesus reversed the curse our stone hearts had earned by giving us the life he lived and taking on the death we deserved. And he does all of this to take us back to the place Israel was at first, on the border of a new and better promised land where heaven and earth will merge. Right and wrong, life and death. These are the two paths put before us as we journey to the land we will possess. But how will we not follow those who went before us in their sins and missteps? Well, the answer is this. When Jesus fulfilled the law, he actually took the doors to life off their hinges. You see, Jesus does what the law could never do, no matter how many times we could hear it. For he did not give us a law of stone outside us. Instead, he guides us by writing his law on our hearts by his spirit. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never try to go astray. It doesn't mean you'll never be drawn back to your old gravitations. But it does mean that the door on the path to separation is now locked. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So now, because Jesus fulfilled the law, we who have done nothing but wrong can now finally do right. We who have earned nothing but death can now have life. Amen. So as we read in our Bible and we get to the book of Deuteronomy, we, we look at it and it replays for us. It, it talks about things that we've already read. It, it says things that have already been said. It's, it's repetitious. It's already been done. Maybe you're a Bible reader and, and you got to Deuteronomy and you went, I've already read this, let me skip through it. So I want you to capture something before we get to the text today from the notes. First is this, Deuteronomy means second law. Deuteronomy means second law. Here's the reason that it means second law. And I want you to remember this today. 
remember this. It's from your notes. The generation of those hearing the law in Deuteronomy were born in the wilderness. They were born in the wilderness. Some of these people, although they've heard it and it's been taught to them, this is the second major time they're getting it all put together at once. It's the second time they're getting to hear it. It's a whole group of people that are getting to hear from God how they should act. So let's go to the text together. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be today in our text. We'll, We'll go to other parts, but I want to start there with you today because it's important. What we're going to hear in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, is what the Jewish friends of ours would call the Shema, or the blessing. It would be a perpetual prayer they would pray. It reads like this. This is the command, um, the statutes and ordinances. Love, uh, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so you may follow them in the land you're about to enter in and possess. Do this so you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I'm giving to you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Now here it comes. It says, listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. He's setting them up for the Shema. And so here it goes. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your head and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Rot them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. He tells them there is one God. Remember this. You're about to encounter a whole world worth of gods. You have been been in the wilderness. Some of you, this is all you have ever known is the one God. But that's about to change. So remember this. He has to give them things like there should be one temple. There should be one temple to one God, the holy God. This is an ordinance he gives them in the book of Deuteronomy. He also tells them that Their love of this one God should compel them to love others. Deuteronomy. You can just imagine for a moment, all these people are hearing from someone whom they're about to never see again. Moses, our hero of the scripture, this is his last moment with his people. He has fallen, he has sinned, And his sin has led him to a place that he is no longer going to be able to go into the promised land. So Deuteronomy is his final moment to get to tell all these people, his people, God's people, how to love God truly. And I I don't know what you would tell people you love if you had a few moments with them to share before you were no longer here. I don't know what your heart's compelling would tell people or what you would say to them, but I know what Moses would say. Point your heart to God. Spend your life doing this. This book of Deuteronomy speaks of the broken past behaviors of people and the future hope ahead. 
you got to remember this whole generation hearing Moses speak. There's only three people in this whole group that have been through all of it. Joshua, Caleb, Moses. Everybody else. Remember we talked in Numbers last week that the start of Numbers, they do a census, 603,000 fighting men. And that at the end of Numbers, it's 601,000 fighting men. Of the two censuses, only three men would be counted the same. Caleb, Joshua, Moses. All the other 600,000 men were brand new to Deuteronomy. So you can just capture this moment. Moses doesn't want to waste this moment with these people. If they're truly about to go into the promised land, a land that God says is flowing with milk and honey, a land promised to them, a land given to them, a land that they're about to take by force, a land that is full of blessing if they'll pursue the heart of God or full of curse if they don't. Moses is trying to coach them forward. He's trying to help them. He's hoping that they'll capture God's heart, not his law. Listen, the law is only the law outside of relationship. In a relationship with God, it becomes a love letter. The problem we have with God is this. We don't like his law. The easier thought is this. Fall in love with God and it will no longer be a law. It will be a relationship. I'll, I'll tell it to you this way. If there was somebody in my life that told me every day, I had to wake up and say hi to them. Every time I saw them. If that same person said that I had to be at certain places at certain times every day of my life. I had to look how they thought I should look. I had to act like they thought I should act. I mean, if it was just a random person, you'd be saying, get that person out of your life. Unless you're married to them. And then it becomes love. My wife should expect me to act a certain way. And maybe look and smell okay. She should expect me to say hi to her when I see her. And she should expect that I come home. But see, it's not a law that my wife has given me. It's what love does. God was not trying to get his people to act a certain way outside of love. He's trying to get them to fall in love with him. Very few people got this, though. Joshua got it. Moses got it. But did they fall? Yes. Did they struggle? Yes. Did they sin? Yes. Did God love them? Yes. This is the greatness of Deuteronomy. It's not a book of a recap of how bad God is and how terrible you are. It's about how God wants you to fall in love with him and start a relationship with him that's meaningful that calls you out of normal and into extraordinary. It's the very heartbeat of who Jesus is. If we look at the book of Deuteronomy, it breaks down into three categories. Chapters 1 through 4 gives the Israelites the historical background of their journey. It's a reminder of where they've come from. 
You can just imagine the first four books of Deuteronomy are, are kind of a don't forget who you are and where you came from moment. I don't know if you've ever had that moment or that conversation with a parent. I know I have. I, I've always had that don't forget who you represent from coaches growing up. And maybe you've had those same conversations. That's the first four books of the Bible, of, or, or books of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5 through 26 gave the Israelites an obedience guide to God. Inside of this, chapters 5 through 26, we also get in chapter 5 a recap of the Ten Commandments. The ten things that God would hope that they would live like even beyond the wilderness. That they would hold on to, that they would teach to their children. And then chapters 27 through 34 spoke of prophecy for the Israelites. What God said would happen in front of them. You can just see it as it lays out this book. Exactly how God was trying to not only show them their past, teach them their current, and show them a future. The same thing that he's trying to do in our lives. Remind us that our past, although it may be broken, doesn't have to be that way. And that our current, he gives us a path forward of how we can obey him and submit to him. And then a future if we'll do so. Let me just tell you something I know for certain. We all have a future. Your future doesn't stop with the day that you take your last breath here. That's a small future. I mean, let's just be honest in this room. We don't live past 130. None of us. And it may seem extraordinary to a student in this room to talk 100. To others in this room, 100 is not far away. And so we start to get this real understanding that when I was in my 20s, I thought 60-year-olds were old. Now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, those whippersnappers, you know? I, I've hit that age where when I hear music now, I go, well, that's not how it was in my day. All of our people played their own instruments. <laughs> and my dad's like, welcome to the club, son. And I'm like, oh, no. When did I get here? We, we change. And as we change and we grow older, things change for us. Our perspective changes. But I want you just to imagine these three men. Moses, Joshua, Caleb. You think their perspective changed? I do. Joshua and Caleb came out of captivity and into a wilderness. They were sent to spy on a land that God had given them and that people were inhabiting. And they came back ready to say, let's fight. And their voices were drowned out. And so they lived. You ever wonder... As they got older, if they wondered, are we ever going to get to fight? Is God ever going to let us go into the land? And then they hear the most devastating news ever. The one man that's been true in all their life, the guy they looked up to, the guy that Joshua would hang out next to the tent of meetings to hear him talk with God, 
Moses was not going to get to go with them. You think that changed their perspective? You know, I've read Deuteronomy several times in my life. In this past year, I read Deuteronomy for the first time through the eyes of Joshua and Caleb. This is the last time they would hear Moses speak. This was it. This is the last time they were going to get to hear the man that, that was up on a mountain with God, a, a man that trusted God through the worst they have ever seen, a, a man that when he talked to God, God spoke. That guy in their life, the only man they've ever been around like that, was leaving them and telling them, I lay before you life and death. You choose. How would they experience this? How would they move forward? How, how could they? Who would lead them? Who would speak for them? Who would talk to God for them? I mean, Moses was the guy. And so God gives Moses everything he can to speak to his people. And so today we're left with the question, why should we read Deuteronomy? I mean, what good is it to us? I mean, we have Jesus. So, I mean, is any of the Old Testament really useful to us at all? I mean, should we read it? I mean, yes, we get the Genesis. We need to know that God created the world. And yes, Exodus is history. And Leviticus is law. Ugh. I'm not a lawyer. Numbers? Do we really have to count people that are dead? Deuteronomy, that's just a recap. Do we have time for reruns? Yes. You should know all of this. Because if, if Scripture's true, there's not a part of this that is not God-breathed. And if He breathes it out, you should breathe it in. As we read Deuteronomy, we get to see the heartbeat of how God loves his people despite them. It wasn't about how good even this new generation was. They were still awful. They still complained. They still didn't listen. They still rejected God. But God still was God. He was still holy. He was still loving. He was still compassionate. And because of that, maybe today you need to hear this. It's not about you. You don't have to be great. He is. You don't have to be whole. He is. He is enough. And he loves you. And he made a way for you. And this way is narrow in effect. And this is where a lost world hates the gospel. Because they want it to be any which way they can get there. If it's through Buddha, they're good for it. If it's through, you know, doing meditation, they're good for it. If they could wear beads, they, they're going to do so. If it's through good deeds, they'd rather do that. But if they have to submit to Jesus, that's a struggle. Because if I gave my everything to Jesus, I would have nothing left. And that's a lie. That's where a lost world stops with Jesus. 
Because we're not good at surrender. We're told all of our lives that we should build our own kingdoms. We're taught all of our lives that we're to take care of, number one. We're to be the top dog. We are to be the best. And if we're not the best, we're the worst. If you're not first, you're last. Ricky Bobby. But here's the thing. God is not asking you to bring all your goods to him. They're worthless. He's asking you just to come and he'll give you all of him. I I think that's the best part about Deuteronomy. It's a major setup for a future king to come. It wouldn't be David. He was not the savior. They thought it would have been Saul, the tallest, the best looking. Wasn't him. You see, they would go through kings and prophets to no avail. A people who were given the chance of life or death, blessing or curse. And they chose death and curse. And it was time and time again, if you could just imagine, generation after generation, taking their worthless worth and piling it up and dying. And this heap in this mountain had grown so big and so devastating that God simply took a cross and put it on top and said, on this mountain, I will place my son. And Jesus died so that mountain no longer could exist. Doesn't have to exist for you anymore. You no longer have to carry the weight of this any longer. Jesus came. Deuteronomy must have been devastating. When I read it, I'm devastated. So why should we read it? Because it reminds us of the importance and the blessings of obedience to God. It reminds us that we should be obedient to him. Here's a side note, not in your notes. Of all the books of the Bible, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy the most. In fact, when he is tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, he exclusively quotes Deuteronomy. How powerful to read Deuteronomy if Jesus uses it the most. You want to know a book of the Bible you should read more? Deuteronomy. Because if my Jesus uses it, shouldn't we? If all of Scripture is God-breathed and Jesus uses it the most, don't you think we should know the book? It would be easier, though, for us, I believe, if Jesus quoted Dr. Seuss. I really believe this. If, if simply in, in the wilderness with the enemy, Satan said, mm, doesn't this rock look good, Jesus? And he goes, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. We would go, I'm going to read that book. I'm going to pick it up. And you would carry it into church with you. You have the Bible and Dr. Seuss. But because he quotes the Old Testament, we don't often go there. But Jesus did. Shouldn't we? What if in the middle of Matthew, Jesus simply said something like this. Today I tell you, everyone should eat Cracker Barrel on Sundays. Don't you think Cracker Barrels in the U.S. would be lit up with Christians? I don't. You know why? We'd see the line and we would leave. 
But if Jesus said it, shouldn't we? I mean, shouldn't we, if, if the Savior of our souls called us to do something radically, like standing in line to eat at a place that he asked us to, shouldn't we? So if he reads from a book of the Bible and quotes it often, shouldn't we? We should read the book of Deuteronomy. That one's not even in your notes. I just like that. The other reason we should read the book of Deuteronomy is we're still given the choice of life or death, blessing or curse. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29, Moses spends time in this. He tells them, listen, you can choose and you can be blessed. Your, your homes will be blessed. Your land will be blessed. Your lives will be blessed. Choose that. Don't you want that? And the people are like, yeah, I think so. Or, chapter 29, your land will be cursed. Your home will be cursed. Everything will be cursed. Your produce will be cursed. Do you want that? Well, no. No, we, why, would, why would we want that? Here's the problem with us today. We don't know the difference. We don't know the difference between curse and blessing. I, I'm, I'm not political from the pulpit. I, I choose not to be for a reason. I, I believe in our room right now, there's people that vote Republican and Democrat in this room. I believe it's your choice. I will say this. We live in a strange generation where we don't notice the difference between curse and blessing, even in our nation. And because of that, I believe we're going to keep getting the same results we've always gotten. But our government doesn't bless your home. God does. And it's your choice. Choose to stay life or death, blessing or curse. Choose Jesus or curse. Here's the issue. Without Jesus, our whole country lives under a curse. We just don't know it. I've uh, been captivated by watching Kanye West lately. Um, for those of y'all who know who Kanye West is, you may be living under a rock, but <laughs> Kanye West is, I don't want to call him a rapper. He's an artist. He's strange. Any of y'all that listened to Kanye West before two years ago know that he's strange. Um, he self-admitted that he battles depression, um, some mental illness. Uh, he has surrounded his life with money and alcohol and drugs for years. He, uh, a couple of years ago, married Kim Kardashian. Um, for y'all that don't know who the Kardashians are, God bless you. Um, you're living under the blessing. Uh, so they started a family, and Kanye was working on a record, and in the midst of that met a minister who led him to the Lord. It rocked Kanye's world. He, uh, he took time off. He spent time under leadership, and his latest record he released as a gospel record. 
If you haven't heard it, you should. I will say this. Uh, you know who's Kanye's biggest critic about his faith? It's not the New York Times. It's not CNN or MSNBC. It's not Wolf Blitzer. It's Christians. Same people that criticize Paul for his faith. Shouldn't we in this generation be encouraging the faith of a young Christian? Isn't it the job of our church to go alongside young Christians and walk them forward in their faith? To disciple them, to encourage them? You see, of the blog post about Kanye West, which, by the way, he released this, 90% of the blog posts about Kanye West today are denouncing his faith by Christians. By Christians. Us. The people that should be living under the blessing. We're living under the curse and we don't even know it. It's our job to grow up the next generation, to teach them, to train them, to repeat this to their children, to talk about it when you sit down in your home, as you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, when you bind it upon your head and your hands and you write it on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates, you are to say, love the Lord your God. He is one with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is what a lost world should see us saying to Kanye West today. That's what they should hear. But instead they hear, well, we'll see. Oh, it's just about another dollar. Oh, it's just another show. Shame on us. People walking to locked doors hoping to get in. People who constantly go to death and call it life. That's why we need Deuteronomy. It's a reminder that people looked like us a long time ago. And it's a reminder of loving God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all of our strength. It's the Shema. It's the prayer. It is saying, Lord, you are one. And I will love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul. And with all of my strength. I'm going to teach my children to do that. And God, when you give us a little one in the faith, even if they're older than us, we will raise them up. Lord, let us live in life. Lord, let us live in that way. The last words that we hear Moses say are in Deuteronomy 33:29. This isn't on the screen. You want to grab a Bible in front of you, you can. Or you can just listen along and believe that I'm reading the right thing. It's up to you. Moses is giving blessing. He blesses the tribes. He, he knows that this is his last moment. And his last words are this as he speaks to the, the whole assembly. This is his last moment to speak over his people and to encourage them towards the heart of God. And he says, how happy you are, Israel. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He is a shield that protects you. A sword you boast in. 
your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread on their backs. Why are these the last words of Moses to his people? Because it's the way that Christians should live. No enemy should stand before us because of him. If he is our God, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, there is no enemy that can stand against him. And because of that, they should cringe before his church. Why should we read Deuteronomy? Because it reminds us that Jesus is what we need for the world to see in us. May they see life in us. And may we quit showing death to all those around us. Live life outwardly. And may God richly give you life in Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, that's what we want. We want to live lives full of blessing, but God, to do so, we have to be obedient to you. Lord, you didn't just leave us with laws. You gave us a way through Jesus. You gave us a way to have life where all we could produce is death. God, you gave us a way where we kept going into dead ends. Lord, we live in a world that's under death's toll. And we don't even notice it. But God, may your church show life. God, may we be people who show life to all those around us because it's within us. Lord, Scripture teaches us this, that when the Holy Spirit is dwelling richly in us, your Spirit will overflow out of us. So Lord, how is it that a world doesn't see Christians as people who overflow Jesus? Lord, we repent. Lord, forgive us for our sins that we willfully commit and turn our eyes away from you. Lord, would you show us the open doors that Jesus paved on the cross for our sins? And Lord, bring us back into obedience to him. Lord, that we would follow after him with our lives. Lord, may we come alive today because of how great Jesus is. And Lord, if anyone in this room doesn't know Jesus, Lord, may today be the day that questions begin. How do I know him? How can he be my savior? How can I give my life to him? Lord, give him the strength to ask those questions to someone today, to us ministers, Lord, to someone in their their seat next to them, God. Lord, may they never stop asking until they hear you are the way, the truth, and the life that we should have always had. So Lord, speak over us today. Speak to us in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. During this time, we call it invitation.